Welcome to the Power and Utility Surge, PwC's continuing podcast series on power and utilities taxation. I'm Sal Montabano. I'm the PwC Power and Utilities Tax Leader. I have a special guest in uh, this episode of the PNU Surge. I have Jeremy Fago, who is our Power and Utilities Deals Leader within PwC. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Sal. Good to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for joining. Thanks for joining. I want to do a couple things with respect to this uh, version of the podcast. Wanted to cover some recent developments with respect to renewable tax credits that just uh, came down at the end of 2020 and beginning of 2021. And then maybe use that as a platform to launch into what we expect to see from a deal standpoint. Uh, in the power and utility space. So obviously renewable deals are pretty hot, but I also uh, wanna dive into some other issues uh, with Jeremy just overall uh, with respect to deals in the P&U space. So should be a good discussion and, and maybe I'll start off and just jump into some of the tax specific uh, updates at the beginning here. So first I wanted to mention some recent legislation that came down obviously at the end of 2020 uh, from a tax standpoint, what we typically call extenders legislation, the Taxpayer Certainty and Disaster Tax Relief Act of 2020 that was passed right before year end. And specifically for this podcast purpose, wanted to talk about extensions to the investment tax credit and production tax credit rules. So the ITC, uh, was extended with respect to a 26% investment tax credit from December 31st, 2020 to December 31st, 2022. That is, that if you begin construction on an ITC eligible project in 2021 or 2022, you'd be eligible for a 26% investment tax credit. They also extended the 22% investment tax credit on the phase out for projects in which construction begins by 1231-2023. So essentially for ITCs on solar and wind, they extended the begin construction deadline by two years with this particular act. The other particular extension was with respect to production tax credits. So they extended that one year with respect to a 60% production tax credit. So if you begin construction now by 1231-2021, you're eligible for 60% of the full production tax credits on a wind project uh, that goes into service within the applicable time period. In addition, there was an extension to qualified offshore wind facilities, including wind farms that are located on inland navigable waters or the coastal waters of the United States allowing such facilities to elect either production tax credits or investment tax credits with a full 30% investment tax credit available for offshore wind that begin construction by 1231-2025 without a phase-out period uh, for that offshore wind facilities. So some significant extension periods with respect to that Taxpayer Certainty and Disaster Tax Relief Act uh, and certainly uh, the type of extensions that will generate some activity in the marketplace, uh, we would expect 
over the next couple of years that we'll get into a little bit uh, with Jeremy here. The other thing I wanted to mention from a tax standpoint is notice 2021-05 with respect to a specific aspect of the continuity safe harbor. So all the rules that I just got into with respect to the deadlines are all deadlines around when you have to begin construction in order to be eligible for credits on solar, wind, and other renewable projects. But you also have to undertake either continuous construction or continuous efforts around these renewable projects in order to be eligible for the credits. And the typical continuity safe harbor from a numerical standpoint is four years. So if the project begins construction and then is placed in service within a four-year time frame, it's deemed to meet those continuity safe harbors. With respect to this particular notice, 2021-05, it allows an extended safe harbor period with respect to offshore wind or projects constructed on federal land. And it provides for 10 calendar years after the calendar year during which construction begins. And essentially, this is the government recognizing the complexity of getting approvals for offshore wind projects and or projects that are being constructed on federal land. There are typically more red tape associated with these type of projects, and you have to get more approvals from the federal government in order to bring these type of projects to fruition. So in recognition of the additional red tape, uh, a much longer safe harbor period around that continuity test from four years to 10 years as a result of the notice 2021-05. So some significant developments, all good for the industry and all positive developments for uh, various deal activities that we plan to see um, going forward. So maybe I'll start there with Jeremy and, and simply ask, what will the impact of some of these extensions of the renewable credits mean for in the deal space? Yeah, no, thanks, Al. I appreciate it. Um, and um, very happy to be with you today. You know, it's interesting because the incentives in and of themselves, um, it'll be interesting to see how those unfold. Historically, where we've seen incentives start to expire or start to um, start to cliff, we have seen pickups in deal activity for assets and portfolios on the renewable side, just as you know, the quest for equity to support development of those projects increases as incentives or potential availability of capital dries up. Um, you know, I think these extensions certainly are going to support a lot of the development in the industry that, that is ongoing and certainly still needed. Um, the other thing I think it'll do is continue, obviously, with that tax equity lens to bring investors to the table, um, open up and extend maybe some of the, the investment that we're seeing there to support the fact that, you know, a lot of development companies and, and as you know, Sally, even regulated utilities or even non-regulated businesses have significant NOL or, or tax credit buildup um, situations and therefore don't have necessarily the tax appetite to support full utilization of those credits on the front end. Um, so I expect that we'll, we'll see some continued um, you know, investment there. We'll, we'll expect we expect to see some continued tax equity investment there as we as we move forward into the into the coming years as a result of that. 
Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. That that was helpful background. And uh, I guess one question with respect to these extensions, and it's a little bit unknowable. I'm asking you to put your uh, a predictive hat on. Is it, given the limited time frame for some of these extensions, like for the wind, it was one year essentially. For solar, it was a two year extension. Um, is it enough time? The, are the extensions enough time to really create enough value or or time there for folks to consider deals activity? Yeah, it's a good question, Sal. And I, you know, it's you know, as you kind of look over history, a lot of these credits have been um, extended in a lot of cases retroactively. I mean, the production tax credit's been around since the early '90s, so there may be, in, there may in fact be some expectation that that's going to continue. Um, I do think the other part of this is where you highlighted, you know, the safe harbor activities and the extension therein. You know, we, we do have a lot of clients in the industry that have effectively safe harbored to, you know, effectively capitalize on that. And this would actually give them a little bit more time to get those, those up and running. Now, to the extent that we, you know, with the new administration, and I don't expect to see this, but I think it'll depend on what the incentives look like, whether that be on the federal tax side or or if it's more state mandated, you know, to the extent that we do see, uh, you know, these incentives not get extended in the near term, that may, in fact, drive some deal activity where folks may just not have the capital capacity to get their their facilities online in a, in a timely manner. And therefore, maybe it makes sense for them to transact and, and divest some of that portfolio or rationalize some of those portfolios. But um you know, obviously, time will tell. You know, we will we'll we'll get a pretty good indication fairly quickly as to what the you know, and, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this on the Biden plan, but we'll get a pretty good indication of what those incentives might look like for not just renewable but emerging technologies broadly um, as we think about the infrastructure goals that that Biden the Biden administration may put out there. So, um, time will tell. I do think you know one of the things that these extensions may in fact um, support more of which we've seen a, a pretty good push in the industry is really on the repowering side where um, you know repowering existing wind facilities that may be you know eight to ten years into their life and have a PTC that's going to run out you know that effectively the IRS says if you you know replace 80 percent of that fair value you can get another 10 years of PTC so I think we'll ex we'll expect to see more of that with these extensions and um you know we'll see if the extensions uh, even go further out as the administration uh, gets gets settled yeah that's a good point with respect to the repowerings and you know we've been getting a lot of questions around how the rules work for repowerings around the credit setting because obviously with this begin construction standard and the deadlines usually they're crafted with new projects in mind and not necessarily repowerings in mind. So there's a lot of questions around what does it mean to begin construction when you're doing a repowering and, and what counts and what doesn't count. So I think a lot of unanswered questions uh, uh, that, that may need to be answered here as we move forward. Um, maybe with respect to that, and since you jumped into it a little bit, uh, maybe what can we expect with the Biden presidency and now with the democratically controlled House and at least a 50-50 Senate, uh, what are we expecting to see here over the next year or two uh, with respect to legislation and, and how that would impact the deals marketplace? Yeah, no, I think that's that's the right jumping off point, Sal. You know, as you look at what is out there so far on the Biden plan, there is a lot as far as ambition um, 
from an, a broader infrastructure perspective. I'll, I'll dive into some of the emerging tech and the renewable side specifically, but that infrastructure plan is, is pretty significant in the ultimate goals of what they want to achieve. Um, you know, I think obviously renewables are, are going to continue to be a good push on that front. Obviously, things like emerging technology, battery storage, um, you know, green hydrogen is obviously a big focus these days. So, I, you know, I think there will be a significant upside on that front. The devil's always in the details, though. And I think as you take a step back and not that the Obama presidency is a direct indication of what the Biden administration may look like. But if you take a step back to the clean power plan that was as, as a result of the Obama administration, where, you know, significant CO2 reductions on a state by state basis, you know, that plan. And, and this kind of goes to some of the either unintended consequences or the aspect of, look, the devil's actually in the details. That plan would have incited significant amounts of renewable, likely utility scale capacity to enter the enter the supply stack across the country. Even states that had significant renewable portfolio standards in place were going to have to do some more work. And as you know, there are several states that don't have any goals or any type of hard and fast rules. Um, as a result of that, and as a result of the penetration of renewables, particularly wind and solar and the intermittency that comes with that, um, there was going to need to be a significant amount of infrastructure to support the fact that you know we don't see generation from wind facilities when wind isn't blowing or from solar facilities when the sun isn't shining. So um, that would have been a big lift on the infrastructure side, whether that be transmission, whether that be at, you know, at least as we sat there then, and I think as we still sit here today, you know, natural gas peaking capacity is really the battery to support that intermittency of those renewables. So, you know, things like natural gas pipeline and natural gas generation would have needed to come in in significant amounts as well to support that. So, I, you know, I think all in all, we're going to have to wait and see what the actual incentives are. Um, I'm sure it won't be a one size fits all, but, you know, there could be some broad implications to how our country looks just from an infrastructure perspective to support the fact that um, the makeup of how we get our electricity is changing fast and, and likely will continue that trajectory even more so under a, a, under a Biden presidency. You know, I think the other thing, Sal, on that front is obviously a, a lot of discussion about environmental social governance slash ESG initiatives that are being taken on by most of the industry anyway. Um, and that push is certainly going to have an influence on deals as you couple that with what the policies may or may not look like from a legislative perspective. Um, we did see activity on the deal side with at least some justification in the rationale for those deals in the second half of 2020 being related to um, an ESG lens um, where perhaps owning certain asset bases didn't necessarily fit that profile. Maybe looked different. Maybe looked better for a different investor class than than the owner of those assets. So we saw some trading or some shifting of portfolios as a result of that, where the ability to put capital to work in something that may be more ESG esque, for example, renewables, whether that be offshore wind or or solar or whatever it may be, um, really drove some rationale there. And I expect that that is something that's going to continue as a as a trajectory as we get into 21, particularly as the, the presidency again gets kind of gets their footing and starts getting policies through. 
Yeah, and like you mentioned, ESG is really hot right now. And and I think one of the things we expect to see from a Biden presidency as he remakes the SEC uh, or, or, you know, disclosures, uh, possible required disclosures in 10Ks and other SEC filings around ESG initiatives. So I think uh, a lot to come on that uh, over the next couple of years. And like you said, could have a significant influence as well kind of in the deal marketplace. So so maybe broadening our focus a little bit, uh, just a, a broad question, you know, where are we going with respect to mega deals and continued industry consolidation? I think at times we see a flurry of activities, you know, there's a rule of three that we see a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, deals come down in threes, if you will, big deals, and then we can go years or months without seeing a lot of big deals. Um, so just question, what do you foresee from an industry standpoint? Do you see any mega deals on the horizon and continued consolidation or will they be smaller deals? Yeah, no, I, I, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think part of the, the question goes to how big is the space from a mega deal um, participant perspective? And, and Sal, as you know, We've had a significant amount of consolidation in the last handful of years um, from a mega deal perspective, at least. A lot of utility on utility deals, um, a lot of majors picking up, you know, mid cap and a lot of cases, um, natural gas infrastructure platforms. Um, and so I, I think there has been it. We have gone through a significant amount of consolidation. I do not think that that's necessarily done. Um, but I think it's going to be a relative conversation going forward. We've gone from, you know, back in the 90s, roughly 100 utilities to around 40 today. So that gives you some perspective of how much smaller the space is from a just number of participants perspective. Um, and I think that goes back to a little bit of um, what we've seen over the last handful of years. You know, we, we saw $156 billion of deal activity in 2016, which was the banner year in the industry um, and multiple mega deals where we had mergers of equals, where we had, again, we had balance sheets for maybe some of the larger utilities picking up platforms where the, the opportunity was to deploy capital in a lot of case, a lot of cases, rate-based capital into those for a very long period of time. Um, and 17, 18 were, were lower on a relative base, but basis, but even 17 and 18 deal values were, uh, in excess of what the years prior to 16 were, at least the, you know, the, the three years leading up to 16. Um, and to give you some perspective, 16 um, from a deal value perspective was equal to the previous three years added together. Um, so, you know, I think there's a level setting that needs to be done on what is possible just from an overall market participant perspective. I think the other aspect to that is, you know, the rationale for those deals over the last handful of years was really focused on what we labeled the growth synergy, so to speak. Um, you know, historically prior to, you know, middle part of last decade, synergies that, that demanded, a, you know, kind of a 10% control premium were pretty well known. Um, and a lot of those synergies were based on, you know, kind of cost takeout or own and reduction efficiency gains like that. Um, we started seeing premiums start to approach 50% in that 16, 17, 18 time period, which are, which are significant. Um, obviously low interest rate environment is some rationale for that, but really the driving force was um, this whole capital growth synergy aspect where we pick up a platform, we have a good balance sheet, 
And we have opportunity to put capital into that platform for a lot of years. Um, and as a result of that, we saw folks really kind of do inorganic activity in that time period with the rationale being to go organic over a longer period of time. We pick up a platform and we can put capital into that platform in, a, in an organic manner over the next several years. And therefore, um, we didn't see a lot of those folks return to the to the mega deal space as a result um, of that focus and that strategy, um, not to mention you know, back to the point of there's only so many folks that can be serial mega deal um, players. So, you know, I think there's still more to be done. Um, as we define mega deals, it's, you know, plus 5 billion. So certainly the industry is big enough to do a few of those, but I don't, I certainly don't think it's going to be to the level that we've historically seen, at least in the near term, um, with respect to that. Now, the one caveat to that, Al, or Sal, is that we, um, we have seen some pressure, obviously, in this industry on some of those natural gas platforms recently. Um, big focus on what the carbon footprint looks like for natural gas in general. Um, and to the extent that that pressure mounts, do you start to see back to the, the comment I made earlier, you know, more portfolio rationalization and shifting that, you know, maybe drives a mega deal or two, given um, maybe some of the significance of some of those platforms. Um, and I think there's going to be some trading hands um, from an investor perspective related to that. Yeah, that makes sense to me based on what I'm seeing and what we're obviously seeing in the industry in, in pockets here. Uh, maybe just one last question then for you, Jeremy, and that is, you know, where will we see a deal impetus come from in the P&U space? Like in the 90s, we had a lot of outbound investment from the United States, a lot of companies getting into foreign markets. Then we had a, a big retrenchment of that uh, that continues to this day. But we've started to see a lot more inbound investment in the United States from Canada and a little bit from Europe. So I'm curious uh, if you think that paradigm will change here. No, I think that's a great point, Sal. And I think, you know, when you look at the U.S. for the last several years, it's been just ripe with opportunity. Um, you know, shale gas has driven a lot of change just in general. Um, certainly environmental policies have had a knock-on effect, but, you know, let's, let's be honest, shale gas has really been the game changer as far as what this industry has looked like um, and how quickly it's changed over the last, you know, five to 10 years. Um, I think yeah, in, inbound investors see that as a great opportunity to get a platform, um, a great opportunity to deploy capital. Um, and I think that will continue. We obviously saw a lot of Canadian investment over the last several years. You know, I think the question there is how much more can be done there back to the, you know, how many mega deal uh, acquirers are still out there. Um, but certainly there's a lot of dry powder across the globe. And I, I think, you know, we field inbound calls all the time, as you know, to, to kind of help folks think about what that might mean from an investment perspective. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges that, that's always out there from an inbound investor is just the fact that you've got 50 different countries from a regulatory perspective when you think about state PUCs and then um, for regulatory um, aspects related to that. So just understanding that landscape um, and where those opportunities may reside and, and the fact that, um, you know, not all it's, it's not a one size fits all model per se. Um, is always going to be something that that is um, ferreted out in the diligence process and something that, that really needs a core understanding when you think about where returns might come from and where your best 
deploying your capital. But um, I do think that 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 inbound interest is going to continue because I don't see the industry really slowing down um, as far as changeover goes. Um, and we we've, we've all, I think we've only just begun as far as what that might look like. All right. Well, Jeremy, I appreciate the time today and thanks for joining the PNU Surge. Uh, so until next time, uh, thanks everybody for listening. This podcast is brought to you by PWC, all rights reserved. PWC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PWC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.